Thank you, Stephen. All right, good morning, everyone. We doing good? Good to see you this morning. Um, if you are new here, my name's Jeff. I'm the pastor here along with Christy. We pastor the church here. She was leading worship today. We'd love to meet you after the service. We've had lots of new people joining us, so we are glad that you're here. We would love for you to, uh, if you have any questions about how to get plugged in, we'd love to help with that. We'd love for you to feel a part of the family. And, uh, and then someday soon, you can also be joining us for beanbag tournaments and all those other fun events. If you, wanna, if, you, if you could let us know you're coming to our house on Wednesday night, that would be helpful too, just so we know how many burgers I need to overcook when my grill gets out of control, um, as tends to happen. All right, I'm going to find my place here. So we've been in a series uh, in the book of Exodus for quite a while now. We've got a couple weeks left um, going through the book of Exodus. I think maybe three or four weeks ago I said we had a couple weeks left, and yet here we are. So we are really nearing the, the finish line here. Um, if you have a Bible, we'd love to have you turn with us to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to read through uh, verse 1 through 10 here. This is the story of, you know, to get you caught up a little bit on the story of Exodus Starts out with the Israelites, they're slaves in Egypt. God brings Moses to them, and Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go, and then God sends the plagues, and then the people are allowed to go free, and then we get to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, all of these things, like great stories. This is why it's taken us a while to get through Exodus. There's so much great stuff in there. Well, this was all part of God's plan to establish a great nation of people, to bring them into the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham so many years ago, that he was going to form a great people. So this is the, on their journey. They're one, they've now freed from ex, or e, Egypt. And then they're in the wilderness. And God calls Moses up to the mountain. And a couple weeks ago we talked about the Ten Commandments. But if you read through Exodus, you know there wasn't just those Ten Commandments. There was all of the rules, all of the law, all the regulations. How to set up the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and all of these things. God is giving us how to do animal sacrifices, what festivals, what feasts. So this is all happening while Moses is on Mount Sinai and the cloud, like the glory of God, the presence of God has come around the mountain. So while all of this is happening, the Israelites are still kind of just standing around, just waiting for, you know, waiting for Moses. Like he's been up there a while. And so they get a little impatient as we tend to do. And this is where we pick up the story as, you know, as God is giving the law to Moses. This is what happens in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 10. You can follow along on the screen or in the Bibles that you have with you there. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered to them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Whoa, revelry. Ooh, revelry. Some, if kids, you throw a party at home and your parents come home and you say, what was happening here? And you can just say it was just, it was revelry. Then they'll never know, but ooh, it sounds bad. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people 
whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. I'm going to stop there for a second. Look at Moses and God, you know, passing the buck on whose people they were, right? God is all of a sudden saying, Moses, these are your people. If God wants no part of them. Have you ever been in, uh, maybe parents with young kids, you've relate, you can relate to this. Sometime you're at a store or out in public and maybe your kids start acting up. And it's like, who, of mom and dad, who can kind of distance themselves the most? Like, those aren't my kids. You know, ma'am, I would say to Christine, ma'am, you might want to mind your children there. Like, trying to... <laughs> or if they're misbehaving badly, Christy will often refer to them as, Jeff, your children. And like, of course, it's me. I've noticed that in our house, when it's a, when it's a, ba a bad trait coming up, that's when they're Jeff's children, for the most part. Your stubbornness is coming through in your children. This is what's happening with God and Moses right here. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that in my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. This is where we're going to stop there. So a couple of things just from those verses I want to point out as we dive into this today. First of all, look how quick Israel turned to idolatry. I mean, I know there was some days that passed that Moses was up on the mountain, but certainly... The mighty deliverance out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, all the plagues, all the, the manna and quail God providing, all of these things should have been close enough in the rearview mirror that they would still be able to trust in their God. Look how quickly they turned away to something idolatrous, something that they could see and feel. Rather than growing impatient and waiting, or rather than waiting for Moses and God to reveal himself, they quickly turned to idolatry. And what stood out to me, every time I read this, what jumps out to me is how quickly they were to forfeit the relationship with Almighty God. Like, it's not like they were saying, we want a whole new God. They, basically, they were saying, we just want an image of the God. We want a God that we can see and feel and touch. Like, that cloud and Moses up there, we're not sure what's going on up there. Give us something that, you know, we can look at, something that we can see, something that is tangible. Also, I keep wanting to say to those Israelites, powerful God, glory of God on the mountain, why would you forfeit that for this little statue that has no power in your life at all? But all of these things are happening. And then finally, God, who has apparently grown tired of Moses' people, he says, you know, leave me and my anger is going to burn against them and I'm going to destroy them and we're going to start over. We're going to start over with you, Moses, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. One of the things I highlighted early on in this series is for a lot of people, when they read verses like that, it kind of reinforces this idea of God that they have, that God is just this angry God up in heaven waiting for people to mess up so that he can wipe them out. Like you're thinking, oh, if I went to God with all of my problems or told him what was going on, or if I went to God in prayer, he's just going to be like, I know what you did and give the like heavenly thumb, like just like smush you down. Like this is angry God just waiting to smite you, Right. We know, I, I, there's been times I bet people in this room have had that view of God. There are a lot of people who are closed off to faith in Jesus Christ, a relationship with God, because they just view God as angry, just angry. So what I said a few weeks ago, and what I want to remind you of again, when you see a verse like that, and you think God is angry, I want you, instead of thinking angry, I want you to think holy. This is a holy God. 
This is the holiness of God seeing the idolatry in the people. And a holy God cannot be around sinful people. This is what happens when sinful, idolatrous people are in the presence of holy God. His holiness burns against them. And so God said to Moses, get away from me because I'm about to do some things here. We're going to wipe them out and then we're going to start over with you. This was God's desire. And you can see it at the very last verse that we read there. Then I will make you into a great nation. God's desire was to make the descendants of Abraham and the, and the people who were with Moses and ultimately the Israelites to become a great nation. He wanted to establish a people, a great nation. This was his desire from the beginning. The people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham would become a nation of people devoted to God alone, which is why he reacted strongly to the idol, devoted to God alone and set apart from all the other nations. This was God's desire. And so I mentioned Abraham already. I just wanted to jump back because this sounds a lot like what he was saying to Abraham. I just want to read a couple verses from Genesis 22, verse 17. This is God talking to Abraham. You'll hear a lot of the same things here. God said to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the star in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities and their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So when we talk about God wanting to establish this great nation, this righteous people, this people that would follow after God, for what purpose did God want to do that? Why would God want to have a separate people that were set apart as his own people? Well, he, he kind of revealed that to Abraham. It says that in that verse we just read. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. All the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All the nations on the earth are going to be blessed because of the faithfulness of Abraham. Because of the people of Israel. All nations. So, this was not an idea of an exclusive people at the expense of all the other nations. Ultimately, we know that what God was saying to Abraham is ultimately through your offspring, the lineage of you is going to come the Messiah. Jesus is going to come from the line of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. And ultimately, that's the biggest blessing that we could have as people. But also God is saying, I don't want this to just be I'm blessing one group of people. This is designed to be a blessing to all nations. This is, a, this is designed to be a blessing to all nations. There are so many times as you read through the Old Testament when God is with his people and he's about to perform a miracle, he's about to heal their diseases, or he's about to, to take out an enemy or provide for them in a miraculous way. His reasoning, and you'll see this so often in the Old Testament, is he says to his people, I'm doing this so that the world will know there is a God in Israel. I'm doing this so that everybody else will see the one true God is in Israel. Every nation had their own gods, their own idols, their own statues. And what God was doing was saying to Israel, how I'm going to work with you and through you is so that all the other nations will be able to see what the one true God is really like. This is God's reason for setting up his people. This is God saying, I want you to be witnesses to the rest of the nations. This is how the nations are going to be blessed is because they're going to watch you, Israel, and they're going to see what God is like to be a witness. This is not a chosen people so other people would be excluded. This was not a chosen people so God could say, you're my favorites and I don't like any of those other people. This is you are to be witnesses to the surrounding nations. You know the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah and the whale and Jonah 
got swallowed up by the whale for three days and then got spit up on dry land. Well, what was the whole point of Jonah? What was Jonah running from? God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire to call these people to repent. Why did Jonah not want to go? Because he knew, God, you're just going to be merciful to them. I don't like them. And so this was another example of God saying, this isn't just for you, Israel. I want all nations to know that I am the God who saves. I want all nations to see what the one true God is really like. I've talked throughout the series that the, the, the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus really parallels our salvation journey. So Israelites start out in slavery, in darkness, in bondage, in Egypt. And then God miraculously delivers them into salvation and freedom. This is what happens now. They get to go. And now, because of their salvation and freedom, was that the end of the story for the Israelites? Did God say, okay, all done. You know, who's next? This was the beginning of the story of how the Israelites learned to be the people of God, learned to walk in faith in God, to trust God. So the salvation moment was just the beginning. And it was God saying, now I want you to learn what it means to be my people so that other people will be able to see this and know what I am like. This is what God does. Now, it's the same with our story. We started out our salvation story. We were lost in sin and slavery and bondage. And God miraculously delivered us through Jesus Christ into salvation and new life. Maybe you've had an experience like that where you raised a hand in a church service or a kid's service or a kid's camp or something like that where you had that salvation moment. Was that the end of the journey for you? No, that was the beginning of the journey for you. Your salvation moment is the beginning of learning how to be the people of God, learning how to walk in trust and full faith in God. Why? So that the other people can see you and know what God is like, so that you will be a blessing to all the people you're around. Do you see the connection there? This is what God is doing. Why does God save us? So that we can be exclusive, so that we can withdraw from the world and say, we're God's favorite, sorry for you, God likes us better than you. No, that's not it. So that we can be witnesses to what God is like. So that you, when you walk throughout your day, whether you're a youngster in school or working at a workplace somewhere, driving downtown, talking to people in the store somewhere, so every environment you go into, you can recognize, I'm here to be a witness so that when people look at me, they're supposed to see what God is like. Now that is maybe alarming for us at times, right? <laughs> maybe a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure if I was a great witness to that. Um, I, I told this story for service. I, was, uh, I, I grew up in Canada, which is not, I'm a Canadian, so that shouldn't be shocking or alarming to too many of you. Um, so early on in our marriage, this is about 20 years ago, we were living in Egan, and I was like, I want to join. I like playing hockey. I want to join a community hockey league. So I found a community hockey league in Egan, and I signed up. And uh, So I said to Christy, this will be great. I enjoy playing hockey, and I'll, I'll meet some new people. And we had just started out in ministry. I was working at a church in Egan. And I remember saying to Christy, well, ultimately, what I'd love to do is meet some people, and it would be great if I could just share my faith. This will be a, a, an opportunity for me to meet some non-Christians. I'm around church people all the time. This will be an opportunity for me to get out into the world and and share my faith. And so the first few weeks, maybe more than the first few weeks, I'd come home after the, after the game, and I, she'd be like, how, how was it? Or it was late, so it was the next day. She's like, how was hockey last night? Yeah, it was great. Did you get a chance to share your faith with anybody? And I'd be like, last night wasn't really a good night for me to share my faith. <laughs> I might have got a little competitive and started, you know, anyways. 
Um, and so I, I realized, oh, if I was there in that hockey league to be a witness to what God was like, I probably wasn't doing a great job. I think we can all relate to that, where we go through moments like, oh, if my whole goal today was to be a witness to those around me of what God was like, I might not have done such a great job. But this is why God has saved us, and we are now walking with him. Same with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. I want you to be a blessing to others. This is not just for you. This is for others. This is not just for Israel. This is for the blessing of all nations. Our faith is a witness to others. When people view us walking out our faith, they're supposed to get a glimpse of, oh, that is what God is like. Wow, that is inspiring and sobering and challenging all at the same time. In the New Testament, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter the disciple, he wrote these letters in the New Testament, states this so well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, um, Peter begins by talking about how we as Jesus followers are like living stones that God is forming into a temple. So the Old Testament, it was all about the temple where people would go and that's where the presence of God was. And now Peter is saying, it's not a temple, it's the church. It's the people that are the carriers of God's presence. And so Peter is saying, you're like living stones that God is building into this great church. You're built around the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and you are a part of the temple. You're a part. This is what Peter is setting up. He's referring to us as the temple of God's presence. And then he says this in 1 Peter 2, chapter 9. It says this. But you, talking to the, the Jesus followers, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That sounds a lot like what God was doing in the Old Testament with Israel. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans or the non-Jesus followers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Wow, he spells that out for us really well, right? Your job is to live in such a way that people look at you and even though they might not agree with what you believe, they're supposed to step back and say, wow, I'm getting a glimpse of what loving God looks like. I'm getting a glimpse of who God is by watching them. When he talks about this chosen people, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this again, it sounds a lot like what God did in Exodus with Moses. I want to set you up as a holy nation, a holy nation. So who's the holy nation today? It's not the USA. Shock, I'm sorry just to say that. It's not even Israel. God's not setting up a holy geographic. It's not even Canada. And Canada might be as close as we get, right? I'm, jo I'm joking there. Um, God is setting up a holy nation of people. This is not a geographical atlas nation. This is God's people being set up as a holy people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Why? For what purpose? To be witnesses to who God is for all the people. To be witnesses for who God is for all the people. This is why he was setting up the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. This is why he establishes us as a holy people, now as Jesus followers. So if there is ever a time where you viewed your faith as um, your Christianity as a reason to exclude others, 
to see yourself as better than others, to elevate your importance over other people, then you have been misguided. You've missed the point. Or if your faith doesn't stand out at all from the rest of the world, if there's nothing about your life that's any different, that Jesus hasn't made any difference in your life, well, then you're also misguided as to what God wants to do. He wants to set you apart as a holy people, not so that you can be puffed up, so that you can show other people what God is like. This is the purpose that God is doing this. You're a chosen generation, and I love those words that Peter said, that you may declare the praises of him, the one who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, that you may declare the goodness of God. What we were doing singing today, singing about the goodness of God, that's what your life can do every day. You can declare the goodness of God. Whatever season you're in, wherever you're around, whoever you're around, whatever environment you're in, you may declare the praises of him. So the minutes we have left here, I want to talk about this. The church being a holy nation, a holy people. Now, when I say church, I don't mean homestead church. I don't mean this building. I don't mean the assemblies of God churches that we are a part of. It's the people. This is, we are the church. So when I talk about a holy church, a holy people, it is the people. The church is a witness when, and I have these up on the screen. The first one is this. The church can be a witness when it is free from idolatry. This is what God was teaching the people in Exodus. You can't so quickly substitute your relationship with God and, and put something counterfeit in there, put something fake in there, put an idol in there. It must be pure. Our devotion to God must be pure. We must rid our lives of idolatry. How quickly Israel turned away into idolatry in Exodus God does not want a people who will misrepresent him. God was not interested in a people in Israel in the Old Testament who were just going to be worshiping other idols. He wanted them to be set apart as different, as devoted to him. Our faith, this church, this holy people needs to be set apart, needs to be free from idolatry. Now, you're thinking, well, we don't have any golden calves in here and there's no statues there's no nebuchadnezzar statue and shadrach me you know all of these things right but idolatry is everywhere in our world it's just a little sneakier it would be easier if it was like a golden statue that we could say that's the idol we need to avoid that it is rampant in in uh, the book of galatians paul talks about this and there's several times in the new testament where where the writers of the New Testament say, keep your lives free from idolatry. But this specifically in the book of Galatians, when Paul talks about idolatry, that word comes from a Greek word. So if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew for the most part. The New Testament, for the most part, was written in Greek. And so in our translating it to English for the Bibles that we have, sometimes the meaning of the original Greek word was a little different, or it gives us more insight. So if you've ever heard a preacher say, well, in the original Greek... It's not just so that we can sound like we're smart and we studied stuff, although I think we try to like to do that a little bit from time to time. Um, it's so that we can kind of get a better understanding for what the writer was saying. So when Paul says, keep your lives free from idolatry, the word in the Greek is two words put together that together make the word idololatria. Everyone say idololatria. Very good. All right, so we have that up there. Idololatria, and it's made up of two words that put together Idolon is the Greek word for like a man-made idol, a graven image. What uh, Peter was talking, or what Paul is talking about. Latria is the Greek word that is meant to like talk about when we serve, when we devote ourselves to something, when we work hard at something, when we strive after something. So that word, idola latria in the Greek, means a man-made idol, but it really talks about 
what we are devoted to, the things that we strive after, the things that we look for to give us purpose and value. In other words, anything that we strive after more than striving after God. God is the giver of our identity, our value. When we find our value or purpose or identity in anything else, so and we do that a ton in our world. In our culture, what would our idols be today? It would be, well, money would be a big one because people see that and they say, if I had enough money, then I would feel secure or I would feel like I had good status or I would feel that I am safe and secure. All of those things are the things that we are supposed to find in God. Money, power, sex, celebrity, all of these things that it seems the world is just seeking after at all costs. If I could be, if I could have whatever I want, whenever I want, if I could have pleasure, if I could be known, if I could have power over people, if I could have money, these are our idols, right? So it is everywhere. And, God, and Paul is saying in Galatians, keep your lives free from that. Keep your lives free of anything that is man-made, anything that is counterfeit, that you're supposed to be looking to God first, you're looking for value in your life. That comes from you being a son and daughter of God. That is it. You can't counterfeit that with anything else. You can try, and boy, do we try. But ultimately, we look to our faith in God. God, my identity, who I am, how I have value comes from you first. And anytime we try to find that in something fake, something man-made, that is idolatry, Idolatry for us is whatever we think about or pursue or serve or strive towards or love more than God. It's anything that takes the place that God should have in your life, the place that God is supposed to have. What you put there instead of God is an idol. It's idolatry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added. Seek first God. And his righteousness. Our main goal is to put him first and to strive after righteousness, to rid our lives of all of these counterfeit idols that the world is trying to throw at us. And we say, God, we find that in you. Seek first his kingdom. And then when we do that, it says, all these things will be added. What things? You will feel like you have a purpose. You will feel that you have an identity. You will feel that you have value. That you will feel you are provided for, that you are protected. Because of all these things that we gather around us? No, because we are right with God who does all of these things for us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things are going to be added. So for us to be a people proclaiming the praises of God, to be witnesses, first of all, we must be free from idolatry. We must first and foremost be devoted to him. There's no benefit to us if the church is existing in the world and the world looks at the church, the Jesus followers, and says... There's nothing different there. This is why God reacted to idolatry the way he did in the Old Testament. He said, the last thing I want is my people behaving just like everybody else, with the false gods just like everybody else, striving for the things of man just like everybody else. We have to have a faith that stands out, that stands out in the world. We can't be seeking after all the same things that everybody else does. we got to stand out. Now, not in an exclusive way. Christians, too often, we try to stand out in a judgmental way, like we're better than you. Or we like to stand out by being weirder than everybody else. There's a few Christians who do that pretty well. Our faith is to stand out, not in any of those ways, not in exclusive or arrogant or judgmental. We're supposed to stand out in a way that points to God and says we seek him first. This is how we stand out. We seek him first so that others may view us as witnesses to God and say, oh, that is what God is like. Our lives stand out 
so others may view our faith and give honor to God, that we may proclaim the praises of him, that we may declare the goodness of God. This, is, uh, this was something that I think, and I mentioned this before, over the last year with COVID and everything else that was going on in our world, I think one of the things that we lost as a church was our kind of ability to stand out from the world. I think as the temperature got, got turned up in our culture and everything was so um, argumentative and hostile and polarized, I think too often the Christian church just got caught up into the same argument as everybody else. And I think there was times where the people would look at the church in a time where the, everyone is looking for hope and peace and like maybe something bigger than all the circumstances in the world. And if they looked at the church, maybe they saw, unfortunately, they're just as fearful as everybody else. They're just as angry and opinionated and desiring power and, and trying, to, uh, trying to exert power over other people. They're just about all the same things we are. I want a church that stands out. It's not just Homestead Church. The church of Jesus Christ needs to stand out in a way that says we seek after something much higher, something much greater, so that people could look at us. And especially when the world is going through difficult times, they say, where is their hope? Somebody show me some hope or some life or some light or some peace. Look at the Christians. There's something about them. This is how it's designed. I don't want us to forfeit that by getting caught up into the arguments or the idols of our culture. So that's the first one. We must be free of idolatry. The second point is this, and this is the last one today. The church is a witness when it looks out. When it looks out. Not inward focused, outward focused. Not watered down, but not withdrawn. Not trying to separate ourselves from the world like I can't be around you because you're evil people. When we look out, we are a people that is designed to look out. This whole gospel message is to go into the world and make disciples. Our mission that we were on is to go into the world. The whole nation of Israel idea, why did God do that? So they could be a blessing to all the other nations. It's to look out. We are a movement that looks out. Raising your hand for salvation is just the beginning of your story. Now it is going out and making disciples. We have a mission. Our denomination here at Homestead, we're a part of the Assemblies of God. Some of you probably knew that. Some of you might not have known that. We're an Assemblies of God church. I love that the Assemblies of God denomination and all of the good things that it does, it is a missions-minded movement. It is, a, it is a movement that continues to look out. How can we plant churches how can we expand the reach of the gospel? How can we fund missionaries around the world? I love that. I was a part, this past week I was up at Lake Geneva for family camp just for a day full of meetings. So I was there for a couple of days at family camp. All the, a lot of the Assemblies of God churches are there. Um, I loved that a lot of the meetings I was a part of was about expanding the campground, funding a new building, because here's what we're experiencing at the campground. We have all these kids camps and youth camps, and there's only so many weeks in the summer and we're packing them out. And we were at capacity, you know, previous to COVID, we were at capacity. And then this year, we were getting close to capacity again post-COVID. And so we're all realizing we need to make more space. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. We know that, we know strongly, a lot of people here do, a, a moment at kids camp or a youth camp can be such a formative moment for the things of, right? The things of God in your life where you're like, wow, these kids are experiencing God in such a real way. So as, as in this meeting I was a part of it was we got to make more room. We don't ever want to tell a kid, like, sorry, no space. Like the, that the move of God might somehow be, you know, avoided that week because we just didn't have enough room. I love that it is always thinking we got to expand the reach. We got to think outside. We got to think 
more, we got to think about new people coming into the faith. I was able to talk to a missionary a couple of weeks ago. I love hearing about the work of God around the world. I just, it, was a, it was on a day where it was particular, I was, you know, it was a frustrating day for some other things involved in church life. You know, pastoring a church isn't always the easiest thing in the world. And, but this day, this missionary, and I told him, I said, this meeting was like a godsend because I love just reshaping my focus of, yeah, we are a global movement. We're thinking out, like, how can we support this missionary who him and his family live in Northern Africa and the Arab world? And, and, uh, and it wasn't just like, yeah, we want to send you money. It was, man, I want to send missions teams over there from, from people in our church. And I told him, I said, I think there's going to be a time where someone from Homestead Church comes over there and is like, we're, we feel called to missions. This is more than a week-long mission trip. This is like, yeah, this is where God has us, to partner with them and to be launched from them into other parts of the world. We are a people that thinks out. We think outside. We were at this meeting, at this camp I was at this week, I was talking to another young church planter. I remember what it was like being first year, first two years of a church plant, especially young church planters now. Planting a church is never easy, but then doing it during a global pandemic, wow, and a whole other, like, so I was talking to this young lady who's pastoring a church in northern Minnesota, and I was just trying to help as I, as I could, answering questions about sound systems and other things, and and one of the things that Christy and I have just, we've just tried to do this over the last six months or so, because we came to a sobering, somewhat sad realization a while ago. We're not the young, cool people anymore. We're kind of in the older crowd. When we go to these things, we're like, I think we're in the, if there's a bell curve of young and cool, we're kind of on that downside a little bit. So we, what we've tried to do is just step into that mode where God has been faithful to our church. Your giving and support of this church has enabled us where we can go into these things. And I'm like, I want to find someone where we can just say, hey, how can we help? The, the people of Homestead are listening to God. God's been faithful. So we go in. And so this church planner, I said, well, how can we help? And we want to send you a check. And we want to send you some money. And she was very thankful for that. I remember when churches would come alongside of us and say, how can we help? How can we help? There was a missionary that was here for a meeting a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, part of a, part of a church in... Um, Estonia, Focus Church in Estonia, right? And I just said, hey, Focus Church in Estonia was the first church to ever take up an offering for Homestead Church. Before we even started, we were talking to our missions. I think you were over there on a missions trip, and they said, we want to help. So we just, I said, I went to that missionary and said, because we want to pay, pay it back or pay it forward, whatever it was. We're for sure going to support you. This is why we bring missionaries here. This is why we continue to say, you know, we want to make room for people. We're going to add maybe a third, probably a third service in September here because we want to make room for people because we need you to go out and to be witnesses, to, to go out, to look out. We need to fund missionaries. We bought the lot next door because we're thinking, okay, if someday we need to expand, for now we just use it for beanbag tournaments, which is awesome. But the idea is maybe we need to expand someday. We think out, not so that we can make a name for ourselves, so that we can proclaim the praises of God. So that we can be witnesses to how good he's been. So that we can fund, and it's not just a USA thing or a Farmington thing, around the world. Kids camps in Minnesota, around the country, missionaries around the world. We want to be a part of this. We look out. I'm so grateful to be a part of this denomination that is always thinking we've got to reach out. God made us a holy, set-apart people so that we could be a blessing to others. 
The church is moving out. We are witnesses. We will always encourage you to move out, to look out, to, to be open to what God would have you do, whether it's giving an offering to support a missionary, whether it's going on a mission trip, whether it's being called into missions, whether it's when we want to plant another church somewhere, it's saying, yeah, I'm in. How can I help? I want to reach that other community that doesn't have a, a gospel church right now. This is why we do this, to look out. This is not about just a gathering. We gather together. I like to think of this as, you know, put this in like a, if we're, if we're soldiers in an army, this is like base camp. This is where we come together. We celebrate what God is doing. But we know we have a mission, right? It's not just about gathering together at base camp. We sing. We, we encourage those, those who are wounded, those who are sick, those who need help. That's where we minister to them. But the whole point is to go out to be a part of our mission. It's not about just gathering here. It is going out to be witnesses, to see the kingdom of God move forward. This is why we're here as the church, to be set apart, not to exclude, to be a blessing to all people. So as we close today, here's what I want to challenge us with. Wherever you are in your life, you can be a witness for the goodness of God, wherever you are. If you're walking through mountaintop, like victory, like, yes, God is good, and you're worshiping today, like, I see God's faithfulness all over my life, you can be a witness to God. Maybe you stumbled in here today just like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to find some hope to make it through tomorrow. You can still be a witness, right? You can still be a witness to the goodness of God because you can be a witness of what it means to follow after God walking through the valley, what it means to follow God walking through the darkness and despair. You can be a witness to say to people, I am going through it. And people could come to you and say, I know your life isn't easy right now. I know what you're going through, but yet you have this confidence or this peace. There's something about you. You can be a witness to the goodness of God. Amen? This is good. You can be a witness to the goodness of God. Now, I want to maybe say something that might be a little sobering to you. You don't get to decide if you're going to be a witness this week. Right? It's not like me at the hockey game where I'd lose my temper and say, maybe I'll try not to be a witness tonight. No, because if they know you're a God person, you are. You're a witness. Good or bad, you're an example of what God is like. So you don't get to decide if you're going to be a witness this week. You just get to decide what witness you get to be. Right? And this is what we get to do. I mean, think about that opportunity that you have this week. You thought you were coming to church and then just going into a normal week. And now I'm just kind of like saying, that's not really what we're doing this week. Think of the opportunity you have this week to proclaim the praises of God in whatever circumstance you walk through. Think about the opportunity to go through something difficult and say, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to declare your praises no matter what. I'm going to honor you no matter what we do. Think of that opportunity. What a great honor that we have. What a great challenge that we have. Amen? This is what it means to be God's people set apart for the praises of him to be a blessing to all people. Let's close in prayer today. God, I thank you for your call for us to do this. This is not just about gathering together and, and forming, a, forming a club or gathering together so that we can try to withdraw from the world or point out all the flaws in the world. This is us being your church to be witnesses to everyone around us. I want to just take a moment right here, and maybe you're here and you've never made that decision to be a Jesus follower, and I just want to let you know, it is, you can do that right now. If you've never made that, that decision to come from death to life, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, all you do is you acknowledge that you're a sinner, 
and that you need a Savior, and that Jesus died for you and rose again. If you will confess those things right where you're seated right now, you go from death to life. You are now a child of God, set apart for his glory and his kingdom. This is what you get to do. If you want to make that decision right now, just go ahead and reach out to Jesus. Jesus, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. I know that you died for my sins, and I declare that you are the Lord of my life. If you say that right now, you are a new creation. And for the rest of us who have made that decision sometime in the past, I just want you to take a moment and allow the Spirit of God to challenge you how you can be a witness this week. And you're not too young, and you're not too old. The oldest and the youngest in here, wherever you are, I want you to listen to these words. God can use you as a witness. Students, this year, when you think you're just going to school, high schools can be such a dark place. Middle school can be such a dark place. You can be a light and a witness for the goodness of God. Men and women that are going to work this week thinking that you're just going to go put in time and punch in and punch out, you are a witness to the goodness of God in every situation that you're in. Families, when you think you're just driving your kids around or taking care of your family, you can be a witness to the goodness of God. So Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in that today, right now, that you would stir our hearts for this mission that we're on. This is not about being set apart to be excluded. This is about blessing other people so that they would know the goodness of our God. So Lord, I pray for everybody hearing my voice right now that we would be mindful of that this week that there would be a moment that we would remember what you spoke to us in this moment right now, that, that you would remind us that we remember we're supposed to point to you. We're supposed to share our faith. And I'm praying for everybody here, even though for a lot of people this makes them feel uncomfortable, I want them to, to hear this, that I want there to be a, a moment this week where it is a moment where you are stirring their hearts, saying, you're supposed to witness for me. Just talk about the goodness of God. Just talk about what you've experienced. I pray that we would all have a moment where we can share the goodness of God with somebody this week so that we could see a harvest of souls, that we could see continually people being brought from darkness to light, not just here in Farmington. We pray for our missionaries today. We pray for other churches in this community and around the country today. Build your church. Build your church. We push back the darkness. We want to be a blessing to the nations, to the people. So Lord, help us do that work. Thank you for the honor of being a part of your work and moving your kingdom forward. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank